In Rojava, power is decentralized to the point where neighbors make most decisions that affect them in a body called a commune. This is nothing like a commune in the US. It is essentially a neighborhood assembly, made of 100 to 150 families or so, and instead of politicians deciding what norms should govern their community, they all do, through directly democratic structures. Each person living within the commune can represent themselves directly within the commune assembly. The commune is used on a principle that most of us know intrinsically. Nobody knows better what you and your neighbors need than you and your neighbors yourselves. Communes are linked together through elected and removable spokespersons, one woman and one man, to form a neighborhood council. And neighborhoods are linked to form city councils, and so on and so forth. This is a bottom-up or horizontal system of organizing society. The larger the area of administration a council has, the less power it has. For example, in the largest city in Jazeera Canton, Camislo, there is a neighborhood called Corniche. In Corniche, there are 58 communes. Of these communes, three are Assyrian and Armenian, three Arabic, and 52 Arabic and Kurdish mixed. These 58 communes from the, form the Corniche Neighborhood Assembly, but the heart of power remains in the individual communes themselves. Women and young people also can, and do, organize their own communes separately. The commune is made up of committees which residents can sign up for. To name a few, the Women's Committee, the Youth Committee, Healthcare Committee, Economic Committee, Safety Committee, Neighborhood Defense Groups, and Peace Committee, Transformative Justice says the first line of defense. In order to really understand how communes work, we have to go through the committees one by one. I've saved this topic for last because I think it is the most important to understanding the Rojava Revolution. The women's revolution is the central pillar of the democratic society being built in Rojava. While this is not the first time a revolution has been launched primarily by the efforts of women, no other revolution has gone farther to advance women's freedom. Throughout 20th century revolutions, women's issues were always told to wait. Socialists said that communism must be achieved before women can be free and pushed women to the back burner. Anarchists in Spain were challenged by Mujeres Libres, an organization of anarchist women who refused to be forgotten or pushed aside, despite the substanceless lip service of the most anarchist men. These are two examples of very many. But unlike other radical ideologies, democratic confederalism has women at its very heart. Women were the first colony, and all oppression stems from the first oppression of women. If women aren't free, society cannot be free. These are central beliefs of democratic confederalists. And sure enough, women have played the leading role in the first democratic confederalist revolution. By now, most of us have seen the often fetishized images on Western media of predominantly Kurdish, but also Arab, Chaldean, and Yazidi women taking up arms against the Islamic State. Many commentators miss the mark when they claim that these women are fighting for, quote, freedoms, more like those in the West. In fact, the women fighting in the YPJ are pushing much farther and adding groundbreaking additions to women's liberation theory and practice. I must mention that the YPJ is fully autonomous from any male structures. 
and that female fighters are not subject to orders from male commanders. But there are plenty of videos out there focusing on the broad-scale organization of the women's protection units, but very few focusing on the women's struggle at the communal level. Women in Rojava aren't only fighting against horrifically patriarchal militants like the Islamic State or the Salafist mercenaries backed by the Turkish state. They are fighting against the patriarchal mindset that has dominated the very societies in which they live for thousands of years and which has even been infused into their own thought patterns. Democratic confederalism, while centered in Rojava, northern Syria, is also being practiced in other parts of northern Iraq and southern Turkey and in all of these places, hegemonic patriarchal ideas have encouraged honor killings, exclusion of women from the social sphere, forced marriages, child marriages, torture, and sexual violence against women. While Rojava as a whole banned all of these things as soon as the revolution began, real change happens locally, village to village, street to street, house to house. Women's committees and the commune spend much of their work going door to door and talking to women, hearing their complaints, providing historical perspective, and encouraging women to join the movement. Men are also encouraged to help in the struggle for women's freedom, to, quote, kill the dominant male, unquote, inside of them by educating themselves, listening to the women in their lives, and holding their friends accountable. As feminists were the first and most consistent to point out, Patriarchy harms men too, encouraging them to suppress their emotions and to try to fit into an impossible mold of an ideal man. Men benefit from joining the fight against patriarchy by becoming more fully human with all the complexities that entails. Emotions like affection, sadness, touch, fear, and so on. Indeed, education is a massive part of daily life in Rojava, and genealogy, a social science formulated by Kurdish women, meaning the science of women in free life, is institutionalized in all schools, militia academies, HPC training, and youth groups. As I said before, the communes run on direct democracy where any member of the commune who wants to come to a meeting can propose, discuss, debate, and vote on the policies that govern them. Just like in every meeting in Rojava, in order for a commune meeting to have quorum, at least 40% of the attendees have to be women. Also, I mentioned earlier that elected and recallable spokespersons are the mouthpieces of the decisions made by the commune in coordination with other communes and societal groups. At every level of influence, one co-chair has to be a woman and one has to be a man. According to Congrea Star, the women's movement in Rojava, women now play an active role in public life with participation rates for women in the communes averaging between 50 and 70 percent and some neighborhoods reaching 100 percent. Even in the HPC, there is gender parity in who the commune elects to serve them. But in addition to the HPC, there is also the HPC Jin, an autonomous women's defense force also rising out of the communes but accountable to the Women's Committee and Congress Star, the women's movement. A woman in an institution in Rojava never takes an order from a man. At the communal and municipal levels, there can often be found the Malajin, or women's houses. These are places where women can come to escape domestic violence, to bring their spouses to mediation or accountability, to spread information or learn about women's health, and to organize with other women. 
This is also where the women's own autonomous peace and consensus committee is often housed to handle cases dealing with violence against women. Women also form their own independent cooperatives and communes to increase their self-sufficiency and react to common problems and desires together. In Jazeera, local women and some of their internationalist friends have helped to build the first totally autonomous women's village, Jinwar. It is worth quoting from their construction committee at length. Quote, at Jinwar, a woman will improve her historical and current wisdom in her own academy. She will carry out her healing methods and natural medicines in her own healing houses, and she will educate her children in her own schools. She will reclaim the knowledge and science as a woman. With genealogy, the science of women, she will develop social and scientific remediation methods and deepen her knowledge of education, art, production, ecology, economics, demography, health, history, ethics, aesthetics, and of self-defense. Jinwar, the free ecological women's village, an alternative living space to contemporary forms of society, will strengthen her sense of freedom with this level of consciousness and wisdom. Today, war and crime are ubiquitous. The war against democratic, libertarian forces that favor humanity and a diversity of beliefs and ethnicities are under attack by hegemonic powers. This social demolition hurts women and children the most. Against these policies of annihilation, it is our most sacred duty to continue to construct Jinwar. Some women, victims of war, urgently need these spaces to heal and recover. Other women, who have alternative imaginations of free women's spaces, can join this work to achieve the life they desire in Jinwar. Young girls and women will take part in the pedagogical development of the community. Using the wise methods of our mothers, who were part of history, Jinwar women will plant and harvest crops. They will raise the animals and make yogurt and cheese from their milk. Projects that are suitable for the free women's village include building a school or an academy, establishing a natural medicine center, developing a children's park, improving the use of solar energy, building an animal farm, and establishing a sewing workshop, an art center, or a show venue. The village is open to anyone to carry them out.